Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello. We are back and better than ever. Back. That's right. This is Historically Badass Broads. You clicked on it, so I'm sure you knew that, but bears repeating. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about women from history that you should have learned about or should have learned anything accurate about. Mm hmm. And um, yeah. Important. Very important. Yeah, those are important. Uh, Something, (laughs) something. I don't know if you've noticed at the top of our recording screen, Maura, but this is our 50th episode. <gasps> Five. What? Zero. And it's still season one. <laughs> <laughs> Five zero. That's amazing. Five zero. 50 episodes. That must be some kind 50 of 50 historically badass broads. Actually, that's mm. not true because we've had That's not true. Some, there have been two parters. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, at least yeah, forty yeah. historically badass broads has that. I feel confident about that. Yeah, me too. And do you know what's great? Do you mm. know what's the most wonderful thing in the world? Mm. And there aren't many things at this moment, but the most wonderful thing in the world is that we've always been at least half of the population, approximately. So there sure. are billions more, literally billions more. Thank goodness. This podcast will go on forever. 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 I just pictured us in like... pool of potential. You know. yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. I pictured us <laughs> in like 2057. Sure. And we were like using our, you know, the screens implanted in our hands. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about more women. And it, <laughs> it was a beautiful image. Beautiful. Do you know what's exciting too is that... Um, every year that goes on there are more women i can talk about because um, it's been at least 50 years since they passed away. right right <laughs> as time yeah. marches forward so do we so do we but hey congrats to us and thanks Yay, for listening congrats, to 50 yeah, of thank these you. holy cow thanks guys i have zero what <laughs> that's wild so who is our 50th woman well it's nice to know that this feels like it's a monumental episode because um i i chose someone who has been monumental in my life as a historical woman Mm. um i recently was able to go visit places where she lived and Mm -hmm. that was the best so we're going to talk about someone who falls into that second category that I mentioned. It's not accuracy. someone that we should have learned about. It's something we sh- someone about whom we should have learned anything accurate. Mm-hmm. And so my dear Chloe, 
Today we're going to talk about mm. Marie Antoinette. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it because I know that you've been to Versailles recently. It's true. You, you might cried. as well tell the audience about that because that's insane. That I cried multiple situation times. Is insane. I I had never um, before been to Versailles. I've been to Paris once before, many moons ago, with my family, which was really cool. But mm-hmm. we went to Disneyland Paris, which I'm not knocking, but we didn't go to Versailles. <laughs> They're different. They're pretty different. Yeah. Very different. Both have castles. Um, sure. Different castles. Completely. Although part, part of Versailles does feel like Disneyland. Like the Hot hamlet, take. the queen's little hamlet that she built in the okay. Petit Trianon, like that area literally looks like mm-hmm. a Disneyland village. I'm not kidding. Hmm. So hmm. that's exciting. That was exciting unless for me. Yeah, unless it's the other way around. Unless the mm-hmm. Disney Village was mm. made to look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Potentially, it was in disrepair about when Disney was building. But anyway, um, thanks to Dior, weirdly enough, they've been refurbishing it. It's in great Love. condition now. Part, some that. of the buildings. Shout anyway. out Dior, our favorite sponsor. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Historically Badass Broads, sponsored by Dior. That would be. Am wild. I like legally allowed to say that since it's obviously I don't not know. true? <laughs> Maybe because it's a, such a hyperbole. Right. And and I did just say it's obviously not true. So I feel like that, yeah. like in a court of law, could help. Yeah, that's true. I think contextually we're safe. Great. If someone were to pull that quote out of context, no, maybe not. But contextually, we're good. And I think the media is famous for that. We're not they being are, picked apart by the media yet. But we're not. I but, was going to say, but, but we, we do have to be to careful be okay yeah, for the future. Yes, yeah, for the future. Yeah. I, I recently had the pleasure of staying at Versailles for a night. Insane. Insane. Which was the greatest experience of my life. Yeah. There's a hotel... Um, it's called the Grand Contrôle or whatever. My French is so mm-hmm. bad. Um, and it's where like the ministers of finance used to be, which was like hilarious because man, they're villains in this story to a degree. Um, but uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. We, I went with one of my closest friends and we just had the best time and I frolicked and um, excellent. ate. A lot of good food mm-hmm. and i cried so many times because i just couldn't believe a i was there in general and b mm-hmm. like the situation mm-hmm. um including the fact that we got a private tour of the castle after it closed for the public which was insane insane just the most incredible and i mean obviously the hotel was like really beautiful and very well mm-hmm. staffed and it was quite the experience um and I will never forget it. Like, it's it's definitely one of those, yeah. like, it was a bucket list thing. I'm so grateful that I got to do it. And, you know, maybe one day I get to do mm. it again. I don't know. No. Um, that would be something else. But probably sponsored by Dior, you know, some type of influencer yeah. trip. Well, exactly. You know us. Um, actually, <laughs> more likely influencers. you. No, you no, are no, an no, actual, no. You've been, like. Uh, no, 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 no. 
face of nope. campaigns and stuff. He's not. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, you have, like, I've seen your face at Sephora. Like, I've seen your eyes. Uh, I've seen you on TV in commercials. Clothes. Anyways. <laughs> Y'all, she's a model. I don't know if you know. She was. But more importantly. TBT. She yes. was. Yeah, excuse me. She's also just an absolutely brilliant, <laughs> incredibly talented woman and actress Thanks. and singer. Um, okay, moving on. I digress. <laughs> Marie Antoinette loves her ladies, and I'm going to go ahead and celebrate mine. So, uh, put that on aw, a shirt. Yeah. Yeah, that ended well for her. Anyway, um, so being there, it was. Yeah really emotional for me because I have spent, I'm going to show Chloe. I have read a certain book so many times over the course of my life that it really looks unwell. It's, it's Mm. pretty beat up the spine. I don't know if you can tell has been, we've been through a lot. It's not the worst. My book about Eleanor of Aquitaine is definitely more destroyed, but this one, I'm sure this one's fairly beat up and this is Marie Antoinette, The Journey by Antonia Frazier. And it was the first actual biographical book I ever read. Of course, like many other women we've talked about, the first thing I ever read about Marie Antoinette was from those princess diaries, which were mm. written from the perspective of like the young women, usually before they were married um, and assumed their roles that they'd be most famous for. Mm-hmm. But this book, Marie Antoinette, The Journey by Antonia Frazier, which I believe I got when it came out in like ninth, no, 2001. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've read it so many times. I reread it yesterday. It was so much fun. Um, I'm a chronic procrastinator, everyone. Don't worry. Yeah. It was only what? It was four something? 458. Insane. Your speed reading skills are out of this world. Some of those... Do they can't, hold on? Do some of those count as pictures? Let's see. Oh no, they don't. Never mind. There are a lot of pictures I got to look at. I love pictures. So anyway, it's uh, there's a very famous portrait of Marie Antoinette on the cover of that mm. book, and mm-hmm. I was walking through the castle, the palace, and of course. all of a sudden I saw it, and I well, it was just like. <laughs> Like, I just couldn't believe Aww. I was seeing it in person. It was just, oh I have 8,000 photos of it now on my phone Aww. that are terrible. They're not good photos. Like, no, my phone that's is so never awesome. Gonna... I just couldn't believe it. And I took detailed photos. Can we photos put of some of those dress. on the gram? I want some of those on the gram. I want everyone to laugh at me. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, perfect. And then, you know, ended up being able to go see other parts of like her bedroom and, um, just knowing what happened in certain places and, mm-hmm. you know, walking the gardens, knowing that that was one of her favorite things to do. And then going to the Petit Trianon and seeing um, the English gardens that she created, it was raining and I was just walking through the grounds and there are, there was the Temple d'Amour and, you know, it's so this cinematic. beautiful temple of love and Venus. And it, I just was hmm walking through it and I just heard like my footsteps on it and it was just like I just couldn't believe I was there and I looked around and it of course it looked exactly like it would have when she was there because it was raining so no Mm. one was walking in the garden so it was actually alone which is great oh my Um, gosh I was I was wildly emotional the whole time (laughs) 
shout out to one of my best friends, Marissa, for being nice about it and being understanding. No, I'm sure. She's, I'm sure it was she's mutual. Excellent travel friend, like truly one of the greatest mm. people to travel with, but also museum friend because Ooh. she's like, yeah, I'll find a bench. And she's very kind about it, about me like crying over things in museums or like just staring at something. And she's just like, there on her bench and she feels she's fine with it oh everybody needs a friend like that that's incredible so grateful i know (laughs) she's also just a heck of a lot of fun but i digress um (laughs) so yeah and then you walk through the ham you walk through the gardens and there are these english gardens they're full of follies and different things and all of a sudden you see this what looks like a little village out of nowhere and it's the hemo the queen's hamlet that she had built Mm. and um I was just walking through it. And again, I just couldn't, I couldn't get over like that. I was there. I've read about this for so mm-hmm. long and it legitimately was built to look old when mm. she had it commissioned and it was mm-hmm. built by artists. I mean, it's, it's an incredible place. So yeah. Uh, I was just waltzing through. And at one point it sounds really weird, but I really needed to go to the bathroom and I knew I was like really far away from everything. I just had a ton of tea. Cause you know, <laughs> Of course, it's the place, and um, it was like someone was guiding me because all of a sudden I realized I was like, "Wait, you could walk up the stairs of that house. All the other ones you can't walk into." I walked into it, and it legitimately had a bathroom. Incredible! And I was like, "Someone's like, better be here," because I don't necessarily believe in all things, but there was anyone looking out for me. Was in she a was similar like, situation during her this time. Woman needs to go to the restroom. Anyway, very. She's probably like there needs to be one out here. It it was amazing. Well, she did like live out there. Not really. I mean, she kind of did. Mm. It's a long story. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it. Mm-hmm. And then okay. all of a sudden, I walked and I I saw some pigs. And I I don't know if it's widely known. Pigs are my favorite animal. Um, fun fact, mm-hmm. aside from dogs mm-hmm. and other. I love all animals except snakes, but I don't want to talk about them. They're the worst. Um, but I love, I yeah. love pigs. And all of a sudden I was walking and I'm like, is that a, and then I realized I was in the farm part and it is still a working farm. And there was like a group huh. of little French children there visiting, <laughs> being little French kids. That's cute. And then there were these little billy goats. Everything was like miniature. I saw the smallest miniature horses I've ever seen in my life. In no world did I expect that to be a part of Versailles. I'm going to be honest about that. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. What was technically a different even village. But uh-huh. anyway, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm never going to be over it. <laughs> I will never, ever be over that visit. Um, uh-huh. But it really just, I knew I've been wanting to cover her for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. and then knowing that I was going on that trip and then we were like, wait, we can stay there. And then, um, I was like, okay, when I get back and it was actually quite, um, prescient for many reasons because, um, I was there almost right after the day in which she was born. So that was exciting. Mm. Serendipitous. Um, Serendipitous, except let's not forget Marie Antoinette was not born Marie Antoinette. She was born Maria Antonia. Well, let's get into it. I'm taking you back 
We're going to 1755, folks. Great year. I'm taking you to 1755, and we are at the Hofburg Palace in uh, Vienna, which I've mm-hmm. also been to, actually, which is very cool. Um, mm-hmm. Although I was like 15, so I would love to go again, because why do memories fade? Anyway. Um, Great question. Thank you. Marie Antonia was born on November 2nd. 1755 and her mom was the empress maria Theresa, a very famous empress she was the ruler of the habsburg empire and her dad was francis stephen or stefan or whatever um and he was technically the uh whatchamacallit he was like the heir to the lorraine part of mm-hmm. the French slash Holy Roman Empire. They mm-hmm. I'm let me just go off by saying all of these people are related to each other. Marie Antoinette, Mar- Maria Antonia, or Antoine, as she was known by the family, which I think is really interesting. Um she had the very famous Habsburg lower lip that like kind of protruded. And oh. they had the she had these very like kind of these very present eyes that were maybe a little watery looking and the chin. She had a Mm -hmm. little bit of the Habsburg chin. There's a very famous example of one of the Spanish kings who was so inbred, he was not um, a functioning person, unfortunately. So anyway. Mm. Goodness. Thankfully, that wasn't Marie Antoinette. Um, But yeah, so she was the 15 of 16 kids. And she was the youngest girl. Hmm. And her mom was quite an empress. There was a story of Maria Theresa getting a tooth pulled while she was in labor because she was already in pain. So she may as well get it all done at the same time. (laughs) That actually makes sense to me it it does but i'm also just like damn it's a crazy decision to make Mm. but i do get it yeah imagine if like during childbirth people just had like all of their medical procedures done at the same time well considering that people don't give women (laughs) uh proper anesthetic anyway but women don't feel pain we don't feel pain you're right um (laughs) I'm raging. I'm fine. So. (laughs) She was raised with her family was very close, which is interesting. I mean, there were huge age gaps between her and her oldest siblings, obviously, just by sheer Mm -hmm. number of children. Um, But her she had a one sister who was three years older than her, Maria Carolina, Carolina, probably. And Mm -hmm. she was three years older and they were very close. And. Yes, she, by all accounts, had a fairly idyllic early childhood. Um, her parents, mm-hmm. her mom at least, was at least deeply in love with her father. He was most likely very in love with her, but he also seemed to not be able to keep anything in his pants. Um, mm-hmm. But that's okay. You know, tis the time. Um, she spent a lot of her time between Schönbrunn and Hofburg, and she very famously uh, met Mozart. 
when mm. um, they were both seven. <laughs> and there's a story of Mozart, like not following court protocol. So he jumps on Maria Theresa's lap and like gives her a kiss on the cheek. And everyone's like, <gasps> and she like laughed it off and like loved him for it, of course. Um, yeah. Anyway. Seven. <laughs> yeah. So around this time, there's this hilarious, it's not hilarious. There's a, there's a long fraught relationship with France. Um, mm-hmm. They're neighbors. Um, and they are all related to each other. I think at some point, genetically speaking, Marie Antoinette is more French than her future husband, Louis Auguste. Anyway, I think it's just because they're all it, yeah. the family tree. I got to post it. It's one of my favorite pictures. Um, the family tree is is hilarious. Complicated. It's a lot of everyone married to each other. Do you see that? The lines mm-hmm. keep going back to the same area. <laughs> right, right. I don't love that for them. But hey. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm not an 18th century royal. So... Like many young people of her stature, she was privately educated. Um, mm-hmm. It was around this time that they started looking at her and her some of her older sisters for um, marriage to the Dauphin, right. the prince-elect, mm-hmm. if you will, of mm-hmm. France. And someone kind of looked at her schooling and was like, uh, she's illiterate. She's like 10. So around the age of 10, they figured out that not Mm -hmm. only could she not really read or write German, which is her native language, she couldn't Mm -hmm. really do it in French or Italian, which were also court languages. Hmm. She was in love with dancing and music, and she was actually Mm -hmm. quite a a very good musician. She loved playing the harp and the harpsichord and the flute. She was said to have a Mm -hmm. a beautiful singing voice. Apparently she had excellent poise and was a beautiful dancer. There's a very famous painting of her performing in a ballet with her brothers at their older Mm -hmm. brother's wedding Mm. but yeah so at around the same time is this are her sisters also illiterate or is it just no it's pretty much just her i think everyone was pretty well educated she just was kind of left to her own devices i mean at the time you needed to be educated enough to be able to hold polite conversations with important Mm -hmm. people because these Mm -hmm. i mean maria Theresa was the og queen victoria like she Mm -hmm. she was getting everyone married to the right people unfortunately pretty much all their cousins but you know everyone's having 16 kids but i'm 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 curious if it was uh, my first thought was that maybe she was had a spot of dyslexia or something like that that. but if if it's just if it's just she was educated differently yeah that's different it seems as though she always looked a bit like a doll apparently that's like a thing throughout her life is that she was very beautiful and Mm -hmm. although the Habsburg bit came through a little too much I guess she looked quite cherubic as a child and she was very compelling and very sweet and kind and good and gentle natured that's how everyone everyone described her except the public later we'll get into that um and so I guess she was just indulged quite a bit. She was the second youngest, the mm-hmm. youngest daughter. Um, I think she was just like, I don't want to focus on school. You know, kids doesn't want to go to school. And the, 
governess mm-hmm. was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I think it was just yeah, a lot of yeah, that. Yeah. So she, she seems accomplished of... in, in like the arts. Yeah. Yeah. And she was passionate yeah. about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in like 1767, there was a lot of death in the family. It was really rough. Um, mm. Her older sister, Maria Josepha, was supposed to be married to King Ferdinand IV of Naples. And apparently Marie Antoinette, like, held her in her arms. And Maria Josepha said she wouldn't be traveling to Naples, but instead for the family vault. So death came for the family. Her oldest brother, Joseph, who was um, eventually would be the emperor. At this point, you might have been the emperor. I don't remember what year. It's a man. It's fine. Um, Maria Mm -hmm. Teresa ruled throughout her entire life as a regnant queen uh, or empress, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And after her husband passed Mm -hmm. away, um, her son ruled and they were like co-rulers. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Emperor Joseph's first wife died in childbirth, I believe. Second one also like died in childbirth and then his daughter Mm -hmm. died and his daughter was not that much older, not that much younger than Marie Antoinette. And Marie Antoinette loved children, loved children. Mm. And so she was like Mm -hmm. devastated. Her sister died. Her sister-in-law died. Her niece died. And then around the same time, her favorite sister, Maria Carolina, ended up taking another sister's place. I believe she had to go marry the King of Naples. Mm. And then that moved everyone up. So Marie Antoinette, who was the, you know, I think seventh daughter Mm -hmm. Wasn't was would make a very good marriage as someone who had incredible bloodline um, and right. position, but no one expected the greatness. And and then around 1767, again, all the death is happening. She moves up, and there is a man who they realize like her education's been neglected. She's mm-hmm. like 12 or 13 at the time, and mm-hmm. Louis the 15th, who is the king at the time. Um, they had been expressing a lot of interest in her and it was like, okay, we need to up her education, especially her writing. And so, uh, Abbe de Vermond was sent over and he ends up trying to educate her and he's like, fuck, this is a lot of work. Um, but mm. she does. Okay. Again, everyone says like, she's beautiful. She's very sweet, very kind. She's not very hardworking. She's kind of a young girl. She's 12 or 13. Right. Right. There's a very famous portrait that was painted of her sent to Versailles. That's actually a couple. So um, we can see them and you're like, Oh, that's, that's a 13 year old girl. Okay. Yeah. And so by the end of, um, 1770 oh no early Mm -hmm. 1770 louis is like okay let's make this happen officially and this was kind of back and forth but they did it so louis august who was the grants his grandson louis the 15th grandson this is interesting louis the 14th great grandson was louis the 15th Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. were a lot of deaths in between the louis and then louis the 15th son died so his grandson was louis august and Louis August had an older brother who was supposed to be king who died. So mm-hmm. again, people move up in ways that they wouldn't normally have expected to. Right. But early February, it's official. They're going to get married. So at the age of 14, um, Marie Antoinette is 
about to be married. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she has been educated intensely over the last couple of months and years leading up to this official pronouncement. And she is married by proxy to the king in Vienna. Her brother mm -hmm. stands in for the Dauphin. I think it was his second or third time standing in as a bridegroom for one of his sisters. Mm -hmm. She had to officially renounce any of her rights um, as a Habsburg uh, heir. And the like journey of hers to France began and it was wild. Um, I think there were over 300,000 horses that had to be used to transport all the people, the luggage, the carriages, all of the ceremonial things that happened. It was a big deal. Like this was huge. That's um, a lot of horses. It was a lot of horses. Yeah. I read that in the book and I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't. Yeah. If I actually try to picture 300,000 horses. It's a lot of horses. That's a lot of horses. It's a lot of horses. 10,000 horses is a lot of horses. It's a lot of horses. Mm -hmm. And this is for like a 10-day journey, not even. Anyway. Can you imagine there seeing were that so... go by? No. I can't. It's overwhelming. <laughs> it is. But, okay. So they get married on... Um, she's married by proxy on April 19th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then by May 14th, she's entering France mm -hmm. and officially changes her name from Maria Antonia, Josepha, whatever, to Marie Antoinette. Mm -hmm. And two days later, they have their wedding take place. There's the, quote, ritual bedding. We talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a disappointing night. She may be 15. No, she's 14. I can't do math. 1755. Uh, she is 15. She mm. will be 15. She's 14 in May. Mm. And her husband's two years older than her. So I think he's 16. Yeah. And he's known as being quite corpulent. That's the word used for him. His entire, all of his siblings are. He has two younger brothers and a younger sister. And they're all said to be quite large. Um, mm -hmm. He w did not have the stunning personality of his grandfather, Louis the 15th, nor his good looks. He was Great. quite quiet. He did not expect growing up that he would be Dauphin, let alone king, let alone married to this beautiful German woman. His main tutor um, hated Germans and Austrians. And so kind of was like, well, you're getting married to the devil. So good luck to you. My um, goodness. But when they met, he was like, oh, she's so pretty. Like he was very like taken aback and Aww. very gentle. He was said to be a very kind, very gentle soul. That's nice. And... It was difficult. A lot of people didn't like the Austrians pretty quickly mm -hmm. after and before. I think even before their marriage, she was referred to as Lotrichienne, which is the Austrian bitch. Um, Great. A fun take on the word chien for female dog. Um, yep. Mm -hmm. And so it, she, what she represented to a lot of people had really not much to do with her actual personality and appearance, but... By all accounts, Louis XV was delighted with her, thought she was very beautiful. She looked like a child, though, because she was one. Yeah. Yep. 14. Child. Yeah, so people said she looked like a little doll in her wedding dress as she walked through the halls of Versailles. Um, that is a sentence I don't like. Mm -mm. Personally. 
personally. Mm-hmm. It was a compliment, though, apparently. Mm, I'm sure. Mm. But on their wedding night, the marriage remained unconsummated. And with immediately, Maria Teresa, by the way, they had referred, Maria Teresa had all of her daughters referring to their period as like La Generale, I guess. It was named after this like weird woman at their court. There's no, I love Antonia Frazier, the biographer. Um, she had no explanation for why. I think she she literally kept saying, I don't know why they did this, but they called her, <laughs> they called their periods the general something and she's like again not not sure why they did it but they did based on a woman who was like actually at the court at the Habsburg court at the time like a woman named the general it was it was like they named her general something anyway I can't I gotta find Mm. it um one sec and so she had the honor of having their periods named after her I don't think it was an honor I'm just gonna be frank with you. I don't. I don't think it was a positive thing. Let's. See. No, I'm sure it wasn't. K comes before. There she is, General Krottendorf, who had, for some obscure reason, been the origin of the nickname given by the Empress and her family to their periods. Incredible. That's an actual quote, not a clue. Um. So General Krottendorf. So she had insisted upon knowing all of her daughter's, daughter's cycles, everything like that. She needed to know. She was invested. She wanted to know details about when their marriages were consummated, what it was like. She was all deeply right. invested. And I think I get I'm it. Sure. Like before a marriage was consummated, it could be um, annulled. Like it uh, politically, yeah, yeah. there were a lot of reasons yeah. for it. But like the obsession was a bit much. Louis the 15th also mm. was very like, I'm a very virile man. I care about this kind of thing. And I think the pressure would have been a lot for Louis Auguste, the Dauphin, because mm-hmm. he was not that kind of person. Very quiet. Right. He loved uh, making locks. That's a true story. Like a, like, like key like unlock. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. He was also an avid hunter. He hunted at least three times a week, quite intensely. Mm. Okay. Um, so they weren't, they didn't consummate their marriage for the first seven years of their marriage. And Marie Antoinette was the brunt of all of that criticism. All of it. I will say seven years is, is a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read from some of the letters, uh, that Maria Theresa wrote her daughter, who clearly was suffering because she knew her position was fragile at court. Um, Versailles at the time was very famous for its system of etiquette. It was very specific, very particular. There's one famous story. Um, you could watch the levee, the rising and uh, getting ready in the morning of the king, the princesses, mm-hmm. the dauphin, the dauphin, all those people. And mm-hmm. it was a ceremonial thing that was open to the public, various degrees of the public, but the public, public people, they would dine in public. People would watch them. She didn't love that very much. I think I forget the quote. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta find it. I tried to mark everything. I put, what does she say? In 1770, which is the year she's married. So a couple months after her marriage, she says, I put on my rouge and wash my hands in front of the whole world. That's what she says. Mm, that's a great so, quote. So, yeah. Um, it's funny, actually, right after she's married, um, she and even in the signature on the wedding contract, she clearly is not used to writing the E-T-T-E at the end of her name, Antoinette. Antoine is normally <laughs> how she would sign it. 
So you can see she wrote Antoine like beautifully. And then at the very end, cramps in the TTE, like to get it in the end. <laughs> oh, it's really cute. funny. Yeah. yeah, you can tell. I mean, so she um, turns to other methods of comfort and care in court. Mm -hmm. um, the king has very famous mistresses. He had Madame du Pompadour. That was one of his. The current mistress that he had was Madame du Berry. Um, they were not fans of each other. They were not fans of each other. Of course. At all. Of course not. But I, so what's his, yeah. you know, famously, what's his deal? You know, the if king? he's okay. Yeah. If he's okay being with mistresses. Well, there was an official, the maitres en tête, en titre was the official title at court. She had an official position at court. The, the mistress right. But. Why not consummate with your wife when it means so much? No, 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 no. Louis the Fifteenth, not her husband, his grandfather. Oh, 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 got it. Yeah, no. Louis August actually very famously never had a mistress, ever, and people did not like him for it. They said he it feels mean. very clear <laughs> that that's not his interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Asexual, perhaps. Um. Again, no. I think a modern. I know what's interesting. So there was said to be, he had graphic for some people, I guess, uh, just warning, skip ahead if you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, it was said that he had a really tight foreskin and erections were really painful for him. But mm. I actually think that was in reference to his brother. Um, they mm. recommended a medical procedure, but according to Antonia Frazier, he never had to undergo a medical procedure. It just seemed mm. like he didn't really understand what he was supposed to do to have sex with his wife. And they were both very uncomfortable. Marie Antoinette was said actually to be very prudish. Um, she hated it. Mm. Hated all of it. Yeah. And I think it was just, you know, these were kids who were all of a sudden adult and were expected to be adults, but people didn't provide the support they would need. And it was just very mm -hmm. uncomfortable for her and for them. And Versailles, mm -hmm. you know, she was raised in a very different court than Versailles. And she saw Versailles as lacking in a lot of morals um, mm -hmm. and had a hard time with it. And so sex was a big part of that for her. She was very uncomfortable with the idea of it. Um, it's interesting how portrayals of her have been so different to that. Isn't that something? Mm. Hmm. Yeah. But this is where some of the portrayals get it right. She turns to other methods of comfort and care and mm -hmm. happiness she mm -hmm. is, she loves, um, she has very close female friends, which I mean, everyone acknowledges historically, those are, you know, a way for her to kind of fill the gap from growing up very closely with her sisters and even her mm -hmm. little niece. Um, mm -hmm. uh, her husband, Louis Auguste, the Dauphin, his younger sister, Madame Elizabeth, they were very close for a while. Um, and she saw her as like her own little pet project, like her little mm -hmm. gift, basically, even though she was freaking princess but anyway um <laughs> marie Antoinette got really into gambling um which was a huge thing at court that was a massive part of court, court life and all that she i think she didn't really i i want to be specific about the monetary thing because that's what she's thrown she's called madame deficit later right like she is seen as the right. reason for yes. the season right 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 that's wholly unfair um for example, right. her building of the Petit Trianon, that's fake. She didn't build it. That building mm -hmm. was there before her. 
She was given right. the building and she did do extensive renovations in the grounds and built mm-hmm. a fake little village and all of the above. But it, I mean, I'm not suggesting she was a, a moderate with her spending. I also would never suggest that she was malicious in it. She spent the way right. people like her were expected to spend money. Um, she right. was also wildly charitable and constantly mm-hmm. was donating a ton of money to charities that meant a lot to her, um, mm-hmm. especially those with foundlings, with children, mothers who mm-hmm. needed help. She was very, mm-hmm. very um, devoted to those causes. Um, so she did spend a lot of money. She loved clothing. Uh, Rose Bertin, who was a very famous um, clothing, like, clothier at the time, I guess. Uh mm-hmm made her dresses very famously, very beautiful dresses. Um, And she had, you know, she loved getting her hair done very specifically. And she was seen as quite a trendsetter. What's interesting, a lot of the trends that she was, she was setting were some she was following to help to informalize the court. So the court had Mm -hmm. those procedures. Oh yeah. So the levee, she would like get up in the morning. The, um, depending on the position that you held in court, all of the different princesses of the blood and or duchesses, countesses, all the people at Versailles who were royal and or aristocratic had, Mm -hmm. the ranking was very important. And so like if a princess, so let's say like her lady in waiting or whatever was Mm -hmm. helping to give her her chemise to get dressed in the morning. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone more important entered the room, they'd have to stop the process and the more important person would get to hand the queen something that would touch her body. So if you think about it that way, the yeah. most important things were close to the sovereign. So there's this one story of Marie Antoinette shivering, standing naked, waiting for someone to hand her her freaking chemise when like multiple women keep entering just at the wrong time. And so she has to wait. Oh, and then geez. I think she's, it's said that she muttered this is, ridiculous like under her breath and, yeah you know yeah, so, yeah yeah which of course i would it too yeah it yeah, is it absurd is. it is it is um so yeah a lot of her her what's interesting is she's known for being this like spendthrift this wildly extravagant woman but uh, mm-hmm. by all accounts she actually was very interested in informalizing things um mm-hmm. and not wearing the rigid corsets that she hated wearing and the giant hoop skirts that made it difficult to walk through court and you know mm things like that. So, mm-hmm. and uh, women in France, they had to wear the rouge was very important and they wore them in literal circles on their cheeks. Mm-hmm. And depending on like your status, you could wear certain types of rouge and or how prominent it was on your cheeks. So her like brother Emperor Joseph came to visit at one point and he was like, you look stupid. You look absolutely ridiculous. And she's like, this is, <laughs> what i'm supposed this, to be looking like yeah this is how things are done here this man my uniform um right but yeah so <laughs> maria Theresa is writing a lot to her daughter um and she's constantly saying uh what does she say she she was very clear about letting her daughter know uh, she raised her daughters to be very submissive wives that was a huge part of her which is funny because maria Theresa was not a submissive woman Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that happened. It was very interesting. And all of her daughters kind of ended up occupying these kind of nebulous regions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
she says to her daughter that it's her fault. She's not pregnant. And uh, she says, I can't repeat it to you often enough about employing patience and charm, never ill humor to remedy the unfortunate situation that she wasn't pregnant because it was entirely dependent upon her. Um, so she says, and Marie Antoinette's always kind of torn between being a representative of Austria and of the Germans and of being French. And mm. The French accuse her of being too Austrian and the Austrians accuse her of abandoning their interests at court. So she's, of course, of course representative of this great peace treaty, kind of mm-hmm. this great coming together of these two general enemy relationship countries. Mm-hmm. English mm-hmm. is failing me now. Um, no, no. <laughs> so she says, why are you not showing more favor toward your nation? Believe me, the French will respect you much more and hold you a much greater account if they find you in the seriousness and straightforwardness of the Germans. Don't be ashamed of being German, even to the point of awkwardness. And so Marie Antoinette <laughs> tried to then <laughs> to the point of more forward. Yeah, I know. Which is like... <laughs> and basically, her job was to make herself universally loved. And she was really good at it for a long time. People loved her. Yes. They loved her. Loved her. She was beautiful. She was elegant. She, everyone always talked about her posture and the way she held herself. There were these very specific steps, little mm-hmm. physical way of walking that women were supposed to have in Versailles where it looked like they were floating and their feet never touched the ground. Apparently she was a freaking master at of it. Of course. A master. Mm-hmm. To the end, she was a master. That was, she just carried herself extremely well. If mm-hmm. you spoke to one person, they said, well, that's the haughty German in her that she look at her just being so stuck up and someone else would be, wow, how distinguished. I mean, there was no. Yeah, you can't win. You can't win. Um, so now Maria Teresa writes that um, basically you need to cement everything with getting pregnant and giving the king an heir or the future yeah. king an heir. She says, yeah. and I quote, it's not your beauty, which frankly is not very great, nor your talents, oh. nor your nor your brilliance. You know perfectly well that you have neither. <gasps> and then this is mom. Mom. It was solely her good nature and pretty ways that had enabled her to please people. And without them, she was nothing. Okay. She was 15 and she was 15 at this point, and everyone said, Oh, you're losing that youthfulness. Oh my god. <laughs> that's nice it's really nice you really you really can't win no and then what's interesting is like maria Teresa's doctor is talking about their situation and he says of it if a young girl as charming as the dauphine cannot fire up the dauphin it would be better to do nothing and wait for time just to remedy such strange behaviors so you know she's really stuck uh in this unfortunate position in the meantime, mm-hmm. there's this vague political scandal. She won't acknowledge the um, Madame Duberry as the officially. She won't like speak to her, and it's kind of distancing her. She'd been listening to Louis's um, aunts, so her husband Louis. They're called Madame mm-hmm. Tante. Um, mm-hmm. There's like Madame Adelaide, Madame Elizabeth, and a couple others. Anyway, um, and mm-hmm. they all were these like spinster aunts who lived in Versailles, had their great apartments, and she was listening to them about. No, we hate Madame Dubarry. Don't acknowledge her. It'll ruin your career at court. Meanwhile, Louis XV was very offended that his mistress wasn't being given the respect he thought she was due. In the end, Marie Antoinette says uh, on like a 
they're at like a big celebration and she turns to Madame Dubarry in her general direction and doesn't really speak to her, but she says, wow, there are a lot of people on her side today. And that's like how she broke the ice. So, <laughs> so many interesting things there. First yeah. of all, the coven of spinster aunts. Mm. The mid Kind of iconic. Yeah. Really. Kind yeah. of iconic. They were something else. I don't know if their advice helped. They sound interesting as a more as a often group. than not, their advice was not <laughs> helpful. Help. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh not at all. Not at all helpful. Uh, wow. So. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So finally, seven years after their marriage, there have been more political instabilities. She was blamed for this whole situation with Poland. And she was blamed by her brother and mother for not defending the Austrian rights while the French thought that she was a spy and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Um, Seven years after um, their marriage, her brother comes to visit and basically is like, talk to me about why you can't fuck my sister. Let's let's have a chit chat about that. And then Mm -hmm. apparently... Um, what would happen is the king, or excuse me, the Dauphin would try to sleep with her mm-hmm. and instead would, um, he wouldn't uh, move around. I'm trying to say this in a way that makes it less exactly what it is. Um, uh-huh. I got it. Basically, he would just lay there and then would leave after a couple of minutes. And, Fascinating. Yeah. So then Joseph was like, no, I'm done with this. Let's figure this out. So Joseph went and basically helped them figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and seven years later, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, it took You'd them seven years would... for him to even want to do that. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm just, I'm interested, I guess, in the fact Mm -hmm. that he has the choice. I find that surprising. I find it surprising that someone wouldn't just come in and be like, you have to do this. Come on now. Well, they didn't share a room. They had their own bedroom. No, but I mean to him, like a like a guidance counselor. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the right word. You know, someone on his team. <laughs> also not the right word. <laughs> you know 
I'm surprised yeah. that a higher, not even a higher up. You know what I'm trying to say. Well, this is this is the thing. So mm-hmm. Joseph describes this to their brother. This is a quote. Okay. And again, this is inappropriate. Imagine in his marriage bed, this is the secret. He has strong, perfectly satisfactory erections. He introduces the member, stays there without moving for about two minutes, withdraws without ejaculating, but still erect and bids good night. It's incredible because he sometimes has nighttime emissions. It is only when he's actually inside and going at it that it never happens. Nevertheless, he's satisfied with what he does. And then the emperor writes, oh, if only I could have been there, I could have seen to it. The king of France would have been whipped so that he would have ejaculated out of sheer rage like a donkey. He concluded, this is a quote from the book, with a reflection on his sister's lack of temperament in this respect, meaning a lack of sexual appetite. Therefore, she wasn't seducing her husband well enough. Um, he said that the king, or that the Dauphin and Dauphine were two complete blunderers, and there was nothing wrong with the Dauphin other than laziness, apathy, and the inevitable consequences of the situation being ill-handled. There was some craziness in there. Well, I'm not done with that. So when the king, when Joseph first visits them, they're not king and queen yet. Um, He says that, oh no, they are finally king. Okay, basically I'm going to, the marriage is finally consummated seven years later, but she's described as being three fourths his wife. So like, even she's like, I don't really think it happened officially. Um, And aren't there all these rules about how it's not an official marriage until it's consummated? Yes, that's why. And and at this point, she's starting to get a lot of criticism from the people. She had a lot I'm of sure. early popularity, but at this point, she hasn't. I feel like that could have air. happened after two years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 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 Seven years. I'm with you. In 1774, on the 10th of May, 1774, she becomes queen. There's this big mix-up of all the ministers. Again, somehow she's blamed. Um, again, she's given the Petit Trianon, um, which had actually been built by Louis XV for Madame de Pompadour. And Louis the he's now Louis XVI, her husband. He allowed, mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, please renovate it. Help make it your own. And people spread the rumors that she plastered the wall with gold walls with gold and diamonds she did she did right. not it's actually all we can show pictures i took it's a very simple place it's actually oh, very um plain in appearance compared mm-hmm. to like the rest of versailles which we all have images of of course being completely gilded and mm-hmm. excessively fancy it's not um so she does kind of take her new role in stride i think she's again she's very graceful she's very queenly in her appearance. Um, she's mm-hmm. not trying to mix up anything, but she is seeming to be dragged between a lot of political factions. Mm-hmm. Um, she is spending a lot on fashion and mm-hmm. things like that, the hairstyles, um, you know, all of the things like that. But what I think is important to remember as well, and I think Antonia Frazier does a great job in this book when she discusses it, is France was the center of the fashion and textile like manufacturing industry, if you will, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, by spending the money that she did on fashion, she was encouraging the 
purchase of it by other people. And she was very good at that. And right. She, right. It, it was su- very important that the king and queen were supposed to um, be the patrons of the industry. So the Sev porcelain, of course, they spent all this money on Sev porcelain every year and they hosted events where people would want to buy it basically and they would right. introduce it. And so, of course, they had to lead by example by spending money on the new collections of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, she was spending money on different types of dresses and fabrics, but that's because they were being manufactured in there and all the things that she was supposed to use and the fans and the, you know, all of these things were part of an industry that supported the country. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it was difficult because, um, the kingdom wasn't being run particularly well. They were being hit at the same time with some kind of bad crop years. And in 1775, there was a thing called the flower war, which were like some riots. She was somehow Mm -hmm. blamed for it. And um, people start saying, Oh, the reason that we're in debt is because of her. And um, yeah. So Mm -hmm. You know, it's tricky. She at this point has some favorite like ladies in waiting. Um, There's uh, the Princess de Lamballe, who was one of her favorites for a long time, who became like a head of the household. And then Mm -hmm. more famously, the Duchesse de Polignac, who was one of her absolute best friends. And they were accused of being lesbians forever. At the time, Mm -hmm. there are horrible, horrible cartoons being circulated of them, of her... I mean, the, we think of, you know, people think of the English royal family being ill-treated today. It's not even Mm -hmm. close. They couldn't get away with any of the shit they're saying about, you know, what they say about Marie Antoinette. Like, they would Mm -hmm. be super liable. It's bad. Right. Um, She's trying to continue to be good. You know, she has um, Christoph Gluck, who is the German composer, was one of, who was actually her former music teacher when she was young in Germany Mm -hmm. and Austria. Mm -hmm. And she brought him to court and he was a big success. And everyone was like, oh, thank you for bringing him to court. Mm-hmm. And then like, fuck you at the same time. It, it's just a lot. Right. So he meets Joseph II, her, her brother comes and is like, y'all need to figure this shit out. So finally, after he leaves, he's like, well, thank God they figured it out. You're welcome. And he describes his sister in a lot of ways. It's, it's not, not uncomfortable that he's describing his sister like that Hmm. so he's simultaneously describing her as what did he say yeah here we go he wrote that she was my dear and charming queen and little sister he also jokingly said that if she had not been his sister he would have liked to have married her in order to have had the pleasure of her company He revealed that he had forgotten how sweet existence could be until he entered his sister's life again. And apparently he was thoroughly captivated by her. Um, He wrote that his sister, who is the woman I love best in the world, Maria Carolina wrote to her sister of him saying, he spoke about you with such tenderness that we have this great reason to be jealous of you because without flattery, I believe that you are his darling. Yikes. He then describes that their sister, she's a delightful young woman. She's not found her proper role. 
Um, he came to the conclusion that she was good natured and honest, a little thoughtless due to her age, but fundamentally a decent, virtuous person. She was intelligent with good instincts so long as she's trusted them and did not listen to the advisors who were her weakness because she they preyed on her love of amusement. Um, this is in reference to the Duchesse de Polignac and what that people called the du the Polignac set. Hmm. He wrote a thing called the Reflections, and he left when he left on um later and he said. What are you doing here in France? By what right should one respect you, honor you, except as the companion of their king? He then began saying that um, her lack of tenderness and pliancy toward her husband when in his presence was a problem. Did she not show herself cold, bored, even disgusted? Um, she went to the opera in France or she went to races and um, she didn't read serious things. And then he said, it is time, more than time, to reflect and construct a better way of life. You are getting older and you no longer have the excuse of youth. She's 21. What will become of you, an unhappy woman and still more unhappy princess? And then he writes about what the emperor called the great work, which was Louis XVI finally not being a two-thirds or three-fourths husband to Marie Antoinette. Right. Uh, so she finally... After how many years of marriage, Seven. she's finally pregnant. Uh, eight years. Eight. Eight years later. She's finally pregnant. And after a pretty difficult birth, she gives um, birth to a daughter, Madame mm -hmm. Royale. Um, mm -hmm. No one was very happy, but everyone was very pleased that at least the child was alive. And right. they put the queen in uh, the birthing room and they shut all the windows and doors for the, you know, kind of traditional shutting in, even though people in France believe they had a right to watch the actual birth. This happened all throughout Europe. Maria Theresa, mm. mom was fully like, y'all can be in the next room over. Mm -hmm. But they were meant to have to witness it so that they would know that no one substitute the child, whatever. Um, right. Because of how hot the room was and how much she probably hemorrhaged while giving birth, Maria Antoinette had basically a seizure and fainted. And mm -hmm. um, no one really noticed it for a little bit that she was like out of commission. And then eventually um, some men like tore open the windows and realized like, oh, it was hot in there. It seems as though that potentially that birth was really difficult on her body, um, which I'm could have sure. influenced other things. Mm -hmm. She was not really that upset about her daughter being born because she said um, of the daughter that you are mine. Like the Dauphin, a Dauphin would belong to France, but a daughter belonged to her. And she was so happy mm. to have a child. Um, in April of 1770, she, she loved kids. Yeah. In yeah. April 1779, yeah. Not that much longer later, the Empress Maria Theresa was like, well, why aren't you pregnant again? What's going on here? And um, Maria Antoinette got measles and she was attended to by some men of her men in her like uh, court group who like loved her. A lot of them were in their like 60s and like just were like part of the royal faction at court. But like people were like, she's fucking all of them. No. Oh, oh. So That's nice rumors are nice. Rumors are really nice about her. Basically. Hmm. She hasn't really done anything wrong, huh? No, no. So around 1780, 
Um, she is pregnant and mm-hmm. is very, very excited. Mm-hmm. And um, she ends up finally giving birth to a son. Oh. Mm-hmm. And the king in his diary wrote down, this is what he said to her. He said, Madame, you have fulfilled our wishes and those of France, you are the mother of a Dauphin, which is very sweet because that was everything that they had all been working toward. Apparently everyone was freaking out. Like the whole country was celebrating. Everyone in court was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like it it (laughs) happened. It finally happened. And so Uh everyone was thrilled, but it became very clear quickly that that was not a very strong baby he was pretty sickly Mm. wasn't doing too well but you know Mm. he was alive Mm -hmm. throughout this time there's a lot more um kind of drama happening at court she's not really changing a lot of her behavior but um with pregnancy she was really excited to like be a mother and so she was finally like okay um I can like kind of stop doing the other stuff that was filling my life. Cause now she has this. Mm-hmm. So she started, um, she got rid of the panier, those like long big hoops and she stopped loving to wear the, uh, uh, you know, big court dresses and was instead wearing like, uh, it was called a robe a la Polonaise. And mm-hmm. also they called it a chemise a la reine. And there's a very famous portrait by Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun, who we've talked about. Hey now. Um, of Marie Antoinette en chemise and mm-hmm. it's in a muslin dress and it's a beautiful portrait and uh it was very critical we received because mm. it looked like she was naked it does not uh, it was just she wasn't in a big right for the time yeah and mm. then also what's funny is then basically later she ends up uh repainting the same exact pose basically but of Marie Antoinette in uh, like a Photoshop's clothes on. Holding a rose, but like with some more big court dresses on. I'm trying to see if I have that portrait is hanging at um, Petit Trianon and I did did cry. So the French, the American Revolution starts and Mm -hmm. what people don't realize is that really the reason that the French monarchy bankrupted itself wholly and totally was because they helped America become a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So the Revolutionary War was massive and a huge uh, you know, cost and uh mm-hmm. thank you france mm-hmm. for usual we are grateful to you did you also know that during the american civil war the british navy came to help the union so y'all are welcome again mm-hmm. her maria Teresa passed away in 1780 and it seemed like she was really concerned that the franco-austrian alliance would change um but again, with her brother being kind of this important guy and their weird relationship, uh, it seemed like uh, things were going to be okay as long as he was still in charge. At this point, he had two wives who had died and a daughter who had died, his only child, and he had not remarried since then. So spoiler alert, that doesn't go well. Um, Mm. The American Revolutionary War if anyone knows, ended in 1783. And by that point, the they were bankrupt. France was bankrupt. Um, people have heard of Count Axel von Fersen. He was a Swedish count. He had come to court a couple of times and like many people wrote very fondly of the queen. Uh, I think they first met when she was a Dauphin. 
and then queen. They met a couple more times and then he eventually became a devoted member of her like household. He was always traveling, but um, kind of a devoted member of her household. People immediately accuse him of being her lover. Right. What's interesting is um, it's very difficult to prove. He often refer he referred to a woman named Josephine, which is interesting because that ends up being Napoleon's wife's name, but, but this predates that for a degree. Um, mm-hmm. They're claiming this affair happened between the two of them, but the second time they met, she was already pregnant. The third time they met, she was already pregnant. Um, so that doesn't mean they weren't having an affair, but people were trying to blame, you know, say that every time there was a child born, the public was like, it's not the Kings. Cause he can't mm-hmm. have kids. And she's like, after all this time, we finally did it. And are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. Antonia Frazier is great because she's a very measured woman. And she said, logically, they probably did have some kind of romantic relationship. Um, that much seems clear. I, we believe and I, I follow this line. It happened much later into their like friendship and, and relationship mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, he fought in the American Revolutionary War. He came back and forth. He was part of the society. He referred to this woman, Josephine, who most likely was Marie Antoinette. There was also another Josephine, though. So like it's hard to gauge. Mm. This is at the same time where all those pamphlets are being circulated and they're saying that the queen is just surrounded by orgies and she's fucking everyone, including her ladies maids and her best friends and all these people. And um, it does seem like, though, at some point she and Furson did have some kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Definitely a, a romantic one. I don't know if sexual, but. According to Antonio Frazier, she's like, logically speaking, we can kind of assume that they did have one at some point. Um, mm-hmm. He wrote mm-hmm. in his journal, like when he slept with a woman, he would like write down her name mm-hmm. and he did write down that name. So, you know, it seems more likely than not that that did happen. That but it's funny on a side yeah. note. Yeah, <laughs> that he would write it down. You could find the journal. <laughs> the journal. It was entries. kind of hidden. Um, and later it was published. And it had been like heavily redacted and there was no evidence whatsoever, but it seems like their, their letters have been found and they've mm-hmm. been able to piece things together timeline wise. And it does seem like there was potential for that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think she was so deeply unhappy for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever, everyone was fucking everyone and her husband was weird and they got along a lot and then they also didn't get along a lot and there was just mm-hmm. a lot going on. So, mm-hmm. but in 1785, she had a second son, Louis Charles. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, people are saying that, oh, that's first and son, but it, there's no, yeah, there's really no way. It, people at Versailles um, kept up with when the king visited the queen's bedroom chambers and yeah there's like a couple of dates where like that would match up kind of perfectly and um it didn't matter that people didn't yeah they didn't want to believe it so it didn't matter no the rumor is more fun exactly um that same year something called the affair of the diamond necklace or the diamond necklace scandal happened basically Mm -hmm. the kings the the royal jewelers invested like 2 million leave at the time, 2 million leave into this necklace. Mm-hmm. 
which is kind of grotesque looking, by the way. Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. didn't like necklaces. She liked mm. long earrings because it emphasized the length of her neck and she mm-hmm. liked rings and bracelets. She did not wear necklaces. She also wasn't a huge like showy jewelry woman, which is actually kind of surprising, but she used what was given to her upon her marriage, which was by right, the part of the crown jewels collection or mm-hmm. things that had mm-hmm. been passed down from various queens. Mm-hmm. She didn't so much commission new jewels, although her dresses were often covered in beautiful embroidery and some jewels or pearls or whatever, but Compared mm-hmm. to some other queens, this was not her vice, her main vice. Sure, 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 sure. Um, the necklace had actually been originally created for Madame Duberry, and then, of course, that didn't really go well. So then there was this kerfuffle. They created the necklace, and this horrible woman named Jean de Valois Saint-Rémy, who was an illegitimate descendant of Henri II from the House mm-hmm. of Valois, mm-hmm. um, basically started taking advantage of the Cardinal de Rouen, who was the um, like head almoner of France um, mm-hmm. and started forging letters saying that Marie Antoinette wanted to buy this necklace, but she didn't have the money. So could you front the money? And the Cardinal de Ron and Marie Antoinette hated, she hated him and he knew that. And so he was trying to curry favor with her. So he kind of ignored how obvious this forgery was. I mean, they had her right. Mm. They signed a letter, Marie Antoinette of France and Austria. And that would be like, no, she never ever would have signed a letter like that. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even her handwriting. Pretty aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, they got him to get the necklace, get the money. They got the diamonds. They broke down the necklace and never repaid him. And it was discovered when the jewelers were like, hi, aren't you going to wear the necklace in public? And she's like, I don't know what the fuck y'all are talking about. <laughs> it ends up coming out that at one point, Jean de Valois hired a uh, sex worker to pretend to be Marie Antoinette and show up in the garden and whispered things. And it, it, it was all insane. Oh my Everyone God. was arrested. It was a big deal. <laughs> and it didn't matter that it was, there was evidence, clear evidence about the forgery. Everyone was like, it's the queen's fault. She somehow still did it. <sighs> That's so annoying. Yeah. So at this point, she gives birth to her last child, um, Madame Sophie, uh, who passed away within a year, unfortunately. Mm. She was not a well baby. Mm. And things aren't going well. The um, the country's kind of starting to be an uproar. Louis XVI was like, I'll bring back the estate general, which was like the legislature of that country. They hadn't had it for over 100 years. And he's like, no, I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll, we'll meet. We'll, you know, work together. And then um, around this time, unfortunately, their son passed away. Uh, the eldest, Louis-Joseph, the oh. Dauphin. He mm-hmm. most likely had tuberculosis. And to the point where like, he had spinal deformations. Like He was not oh, a well child. He yeah. was said to be a very lovely child, but he was not very well. Mm. Um, so he passed away and no one cared. Like, everyone's like, whatever. We hate all of you anyway. Then we have the storming of the Bastille in 1789, Mm -hmm. which is right a month after the Dauphin passes away. From the storming of Bastille, which is the 15th of July, lovely, you know, Bastille Day, big deal. 14th? There was then, what? Is 14th? Mm -hmm. 14th. Oh, no, 14th, and then they marched until the 15th. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're right. My apologies. A lot of aristocrats start leaving France. 
and they're like, fuck, this doesn't seem good. But mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette is like, I'm never leaving the king. I'm not leaving him. Mm-hmm. My place is here. This is my home. Yeah, I mean, at this point, she lived in France for 20 years, over 20 years, much longer than she'd ever lived in Germany. Apparently, her mom, toward the end of her mom's life, was like, well, you don't even speak German well anymore. And she's like, I'm not supposed to. Right. On the 5th of October, a bunch of women from Paris marched and basically started destroying parts of Versailles, killed two of the guards, and then um, forced the royal family to move to the Tuileries Palace in Paris. And they were under house arrest there. Mm. I think they understood the level of upset and fear, but no one really thought it would go this far. Um, But Marie Antoinette Mm. was very like, she had been so ill-treated by by the public and by public perception that I think she mm-hmm. kind of understood. Now that's not to say they were in a palace. It wasn't a beautiful palace, but they still, she was still given, you know, money for wardrobe, food, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Mar- the Marquis de Lafayette, who was a very famous member of the military in the war of independence here. Um, he was their warden and he hated her and she hated him. And he was like, you need to go to a convent. And she's like, you need to shut your stupid face forever. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He liked the King a bit, but he, he really hated her. Um, basically he wanted like what the UK had, which was like a parliamentary monarchy, uh, you know, whatever. What's funny is everyone accused her of sleeping with him. And she's like, I literally hate him. I hate him. It's every guy she talks to, basically. Yeah. Um, So this goes on and off for a couple of years. Um, Basically, there's public opinion that's rising, public opinion that's falling. um, And she is, at this point, she's like, I don't care as long as I'm with my children. Mm -hmm. Um, She has her son and her daughter and um, Maria Therese and um, Louis Louis Charles. Mm Mm-hmm. Louis Joseph has passed, unfortunately. Mm. So she's trying to reconcile herself with the people and she's doing it. They think manipulating the public perception by presenting herself with her children and protecting them. But she's literally like, don't touch my kids. Don't touch mm-hmm. my kids. Yeah. Um. So they're like, she's manipulating us. And she's like, I'm, am a mother. These are my kids. And we're supposed to be in public together. So right. interesting. She wanted to leave Paris at this point. She never wanted to leave her husband. So she maintained, I'm never going to leave him. Um, right. But people had started trying to help them escape. Uh, Furson really tried to help them escape. And it and something called the flight to Vahen, um, they were trying to help them escape. And there was mm-hmm. this plan that was taken and she finally accepted it. But only if her whole family came and then other people came and basically the plan fell apart. So the entire family was able to make it out of the Tuileries palace and they were put in this carriage. It was think of like, basically like a, uh, uh, what should we call it? Motor coach, the mm-hmm. motorhome, but like a carriage. Sure. Yeah which had been commissioned and built for them. I think first and helped to facilitate that. And he tried to get them to escape and then they were able to get back together and then like with each other. And then they escaped and they made it to Varennes. So they made it about 24 hours outside of Paris. And apparently Mm -hmm. someone recognized the King's face, even though they were disguised 
from a coin. So they were forced back to Paris and it was not good. At that point, people were really, really, really upset. Hmm. Um, they weren't brought to trial for that, but they weren't, the public perception was pretty poor. And apparently at that point, like the queen's hair turned white overnight. From stress. Yeah. Um, they were then brought to a different castle, um, for imprisonment. This is around 1791. And then apparently, um, Lafayette who headed the Garde Nationale, he opened fire, um, on a crowd that had, they, the crowd had gone on the Champ de Mar and they were trying to say like, we don't want a King anymore. And Lafayette's like, y'all should just shoot them. And basically, Mm. Killed a bunch of people and everyone's like, well, we hate you now. And so. Um, yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> no. And Marie Antoinette's like, oh, good. And then he like tried to become mayor of Paris. And she's like, no, you suck. So he doesn't really get, he he never really recovers from that. And then people he, are saying. Yeah. That she's, yeah. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's asking for help from her family at this point. She's got family everywhere. And she's like, mm-hmm. look, I need help um yeah yeah so her brother leopold was the successor for her brother joseph leopold dies in 1792 and his son francis was like i don't know you i never met you you're some woman in france i know you're my aunt but whatever i'm not gonna help you you're on your own lovely Mm -hmm. then france declared war on austria and they called her the main enemy, the king had some power of veto, like to veto things. And they thought that she was controlling him. So they called her Madame Veto. It, Great. I, I mean, I'm kind of going over this because it genuinely devastates me. Mm-hmm. The level of extreme manipulation of all of this. Um, mm-hmm. A mob broke into the Tuileries Palace. Then they were moved under... Um, they were in the t- Tower of the Temple, that was a pa- mm-hmm. uh, prison in the Mahe. Um, It was pretty bad. At one point, at that point, um, the Princess de Lamballe was taken away for interrogation along with other attendants to the royal family. And mm. she was brutally murdered and most likely oh. raped. And then oh, her head was put God. on a pike. Her organs oh. and genitalia were put on another one. And they tried to get the queen to kiss her lover's mouth. So oh they were creating God. it and they, they made sure to put it up where she could see it. Apparently she didn't see it, but she fainted. Of course, I would have fainted, whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. in 1792, the monarchy was abolished. The national convention became the governance and then they were no longer king and queen they were known as cape which is really funny because they were the bourbon like they were not the cape like the capetians they were that was the wrong family and at one point apparently Mm. louis was more upset with like no but that's wrong like we're not a capetian family like we're the bourbon we're like you got the wrong dynasty (laughs) yeah that's that's the right thing to focus on here yeah so then he is separated from his family and in 1792 he's tried and found guilty and they sentenced him to death and on the 21st of january 1793 he's executed by guillotine 
it was a there's a horrible story of them last seeing each other and uh he's just distraught he can't you know but he's very strong throughout all this i think he really mm -hmm. showed his mettle uh during the last couple of years of this when mm -hmm. you know people are barging in there they're rioting they're um breaking into the palace there there are mobs and he shows this kind of calm that I think was really incredible. I don't think anyone would have necessarily um, expected that of him. Hmm. So then um, the family was still in prison. She was with um, Madame de Elizabeth, who was her, who was Louis' sister, um, mm -hmm. who used to be her companion when she was a little girl. And her son was separated from her and the guards started manipulating um, her son. And she was put on trial. So what's interesting is that even her husband's trial, he was given counsel, he was given attorneys, and they were given a couple of weeks to go over things. She was given, I believe, a couple of hours to go over her case with counsel when she was finally granted it. Um, he was given like an actual trial. She was given such a sham trial. It was so insane. Um, her son had been manipulated into saying that she was abusive. She taught him to masturbate. She like sexually abused him with the princess de Lamballe. Um, how, how, how could he be manipulated into that? He was like seven uh, years old. And the guards were like, your mom is a horrible woman and blah, blah, blah. Like, it. you know, just okay. kids okay. away from her for enough time. He was very impressionable, I guess. And, and, you know, yeah, they bring him forward and he says all sorts of horrible things. Oh, man. And they bring forward, what's funny is like in the trial, they keep saying like, oh, um, well, we have proof. We have all these documents with proof. And she's like, so where are the documents? And like, well, we don't have them right now. <laughs> Convenient. And they never produce them. Of course not. They probably don't exist. And none of it mattered. She was like unanimously convicted. Um, at one <sighs> point... The exchange is pretty, um, gotta find it. Hold on. It's, it's pretty horrible. I mean, again, all of this is horrible. Yeah. Um, so here's what she says at the end of like the people who led the case against her are monsters. And thankfully they all end up getting executed too, because the revolution ate itself. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> and they had all these witnesses, people that she had like never even really met who came forward and like testified against her. And she wasn't really allowed to cross-examine them. Some of her lawyers were kind of allowed to, but no one cared what happened during the cross-examination. So it didn't really matter. Um, God, that's so frustrating. Yeah. So she then, she was asked if she had anything further to say in her defense. She said, yesterday, I did not know who the witnesses were to be. I was ignorant of what they would say. Well, no one has articulated anything positive against me. I finished by observing that I was only the wife of Louis the 16th and I had to conform to his wishes. And at this point, she could have potentially been suffering from like ovarian cancer or some kind of uterine cancer. She was clearly not well. Hmm. I don't know where Antonia Frazier gets that she's potentially suffering from cancer. I didn't really understand where that happened, but mm -hmm. um she clearly was unwell. I think, you know, her husband's been executed. Her entire life has been changed. She's no longer allowed to see her son. She's now been accused of abusing her son. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So basically what's really interesting is um, 
Her chief crimes were her secret agreements with foreign powers, including her brothers, mm-hmm. um, her shipping of money abroad to help them, mm-hmm. and her conspiring with these powers against the security of the French state, both at home and abroad. And the head, um, basically, the guy against him said, if verbal proof was required, then let the accused be paraded before the people of France. But if it was a question of material proof, that would be found among the papers seized from the former king listed already to the convention. But again, no one ever produced those papers. Right. Um, People thought that she actually did well in the trial. Um, But they... uh, they convicted her of all counts. Right. And the death penalty was asked for and it was given to them. So she writes a letter to Madame Elizabeth at 4.30 in the morning saying, I have just been condemned to death, not to a shameful death that can only be for criminals, but in order to rejoin your brother. Innocent like him, I hope to demonstrate the same firmness as he did at the end. I am calm as people who are whose conscience is clear. My deepest regret is at having to abandon our poor children. You know that I only lived for them and for you, my good and tender sister. She wanted her children to be able to look after each other. And she said, let my son never forget his father's last words. Never try to avenge our deaths. I know how much pain this child must have given you because of the allegations. Madame Elizabeth was like, fuck that kid. Um, But she says, forgive him, my dear sister. Think of his age and how easy it is to make a child say what one wants, even things he doesn't understand. Hmm. So she writes, I ask God's pardon for all the sins I have committed. And I bid farewell to my aunts and all my brothers and sisters. I have friends. The idea of being separated from them forever and their sufferings as a result are one of the greatest regrets I take with me to my death. They should know that at the last moment, I think of them. Adieu, my good and tender sister. May this letter reach you. Think of me always. I embrace you with all my heart, as well as those poor beloved children. My God, it tears me to leave them forever. Adieu, adieu. I now think only of my spiritual duties. They may bring me a, a priest here, but I saw a juror priest, like basically a, a priest of the Republic, not a Catholic one. She goes, mm-hmm. but I solemnly declare here that I shall treat him as a total stranger. And she did. And she was brought, um, she was woken up earlier that morning and the guards, um, didn't let her change in private. They watched her and she said, Monsieur, for decency's sake, let me change my chemise in private. And he didn't. Um, a fourth generation executioner came off and cut off all of her hair, even though she really didn't have any. Um, then they told her that her hands were going to be bound. And she said, you did not find the hands of Louis the 16th. That's true. He never had his hands bound, but they bound her hands so tightly that her arms were dragged back behind her. Oh. She needed to go to the restroom and um, she asked if she could have her hand unbound for that. And then they did let her do that, but then they bound them again. She was installed in an open cart rather than a carriage and was paraded through. Oh my God. Um, she went to go sit in the back of the carriage, which is just where she was normally allowed to sit. And the gendarme said, these are none of your fine Trianon cushions here. And she's like, We're so beyond that. People then said, make way for the Austrian woman, long live the Republic. An actor said, here she is, the infamous Antoinette. She is Fouté, my friends, blah, blah, blah. They write this, some guy, you know, has this horrible image of her that he writes. He he thinks he's drawing a horrible image of her as she's being led to her death. And in reality, it's just a sketching of her. Mm-hmm. Um 
every account eyewitness agreed on the unsa unassailable composure with which she went to her death. Um, Ebert, uh, who was one of the shitty guys against her, said she was audacious and insolent to the end. But some people said that she showed courage enough. Um, only at one moment did she falter and show some sudden emotion. That was at the sight of the Tuileries because that's where her children may have been. Or she was last with them together. She accidentally stepped on her executioner's foot and her last words were, um, I did not do it on purpose. <laughs> oh, geez. So then he said the abbess who was trying, or the Abbe Gerard, who was the juror priest mm -hmm, said, mm -hmm. um, uh, this is the moment, Madame, to arm yourself with courage. And she said, courage, the moment when my ills are going to end is not the moment when courage is going to fail me. Mm. Her head was cut off on the 16th of October, 1793. The public was so happy about it. And a man who Antonia Fraser describes as unhinged got under the scaffold and tried to bathe his handkerchief in blood, but he was removed from the, by the guards. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Mm -hmm. Everything about her was kind of degraded after her death. She was removed um, to a burial ground where her husband had been buried. Um, but in the years after the restoration of the monarchy, they moved them to Saint-Denis. So she was mm -hmm. able to go there. Mm -hmm. Her son, unfortunately, died pretty mysteriously in prison. Um, most likely he had tuberculosis. But, I mean, you keep a little kid in a cold, damp cell, you don't feed him enough and you basically torture him emotionally, he's probably not going to live very long. And he did. Mm -mm. And she's described as having been a scapegoat for all of the ills that befell France. And right. right. Yeah. I think it's a really really interesting note um antonia fraser ends the book which i think is really beautiful she said compared to this lord picture of an evil manipulative foreign wife the real substance of marie antoinette became a mere shadow having looked without passion at the extraordinary journey that was her life i.e antonia fraser's referring to her own book one is drawn to the conclusion that her weaknesses although manifest were of trivial worth in the balance of her misfortune Ill luck dogged her from her first moment in France, the unwanted and inadequate ambassadress from a great power, the rejected girl wife until the end when she was the scapegoat for the monarchy's failure. Let the queen herself have the last word. Oh my God, she wrote in October 1790. If we have committed faults, we have certainly expiated them. So Marie Antoinette, a wild story. I think one that has always upset me because of the ending being so horrific. Mm -hmm. she's you know the ever i think at this point everyone knows she never said let them eat cake um that was actually written in a novel that was attributed to an earlier queen mm -hmm. i think rousseau wrote it in a novel that an earlier queen said it but it was also a charge that was levied against multiple royal women not just her mm -hmm. um of course it's the one that stuck and yeah, it feels like everything that stuck wasn't mm -hmm. true to her so I think it's really interesting that this image of her is this simultaneously glamorous figure when in reality, that was also what like was kind of her downfall. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I always think of the fact that at the end, when she's being paraded through the streets on her way to her death, 
you know, she's sitting with that dignity that she always had, that she was raised with. And people are saying, ugh, what an arrogant bitch to the end. But I think in reality, it's this <laughs> like, you know, she understood. She had been raised to understand her importance in the world politically. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a story that I've always been fascinated with because of how high it began and how high mm -hmm. she flew and then how horribly low she ended up going mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. there to this day are people who love to malign her and make fun of her. And, you know, she's included in the quote, funny quotes of, you know, stupid Queens or whatever. And I think in the mm. end she was just, she was living a life that she was told she had to live. She was mm -hmm. torn in so many different angles and different directions. And I think she, I think, you know, for a little while, she was very happy. She had a family, which is all she mm -hmm. wanted and all she was really supposed to do in essence. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's so much about the tale that at the end always just leaves me heartbroken, obviously, mm -hmm. with the injustice of it all. Again, we're left after the end of a great tale of a woman and we're left with the severe injustice that she faced. Um, but again, that's not to say that she didn't spend a lot of money and live this great life while she could, but you know, mm -hmm. no one deserves that kind of ending. Um, right. Yeah. So Marie Antoinette. So dark. Yeah. <laughs> Just sad. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it really is. If we're going to talk on you know, accuracy, et cetera. It really is from start to finish, pretty much exactly the opposite of how someone nowadays would describe what she's known for. Mm -hmm. It feels so unsettling mm. to have people accuse you of a falsehood and you have no way of combating it. And to think of a woman who was poised and kind and, you know, gentle and doing her best and loving children. And, you know, everybody has their faults. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, mm -hmm. I'm sure she was not a perfect, nobody's perfect, but, you know, to then be painted as the devil, uh, an adulteress, um, money obsessed, you know, abusive. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, it's like, it's crushing. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's hard because I think it. you can see the more she would protest at it, the more they're like, well, that proves it. Yeah. And it feels like absolutely nothing she can say or do will ever change it. And it feels mm -hmm. like it's literally lies and you you have nothing to stand on. Mm -hmm. It's it's heart-wrenching. I know. Mm. I really hope that people are able to, um, again, if like we can do anything, it would just be to open up the conversation for re-examination of, of women, of certain mm -hmm. women, you know, and I think it's, uh, mm -hmm. I, I've always felt that she was one of them that needed a little rehabilitation. And I'm not, I'm not the yeah. only person. I'm not the first to say that. I'm not the only person no, to say no, it, no. but I but... think it's, 
bears yeah. repeating. Yeah, it does. Really does. Ah. Mm. Well, we'll have some nice pictures on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> we will have plenty. Yes. Um. Yeah. Go go do your research. I guess. <laughs> go go yeah. explore this more. Check out the book. For sure. Yeah, it's a great book. There's another book that I love. It's called um, Queen of Fashion by Caroline um, Weber. It's mm-hmm. a really interesting book as well. It focuses on her role. You actually really do understand after reading that the economic role um, that mm-hmm. her clothing played. Um, mm-hmm. And it was more than just, you know, I like pretty clothes. Although, <laughs> right. <laughs> she did. And frankly, she had great yeah, But, if, but the, also the economic aspect of it, you know. Mm-hmm. fueling the economy yeah. type uh, you know aspect of it is is interesting like queen victoria well. did that with the yeah. with the weavers and spitalfields and all the you know mm-hmm. it's the same she's not the first mm-hmm. and she she's certainly not the last i mean it's still modern day royals are expected to wear designers that are local totally to highlight them same with totally. the first lady of our country <laughs> same thing right yeah wild yeah hopefully we can see uh she's much more complex than all of that heck yeah thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening and we'll be doing another deep dive we'll be back the next time that we talk to you happy happy 50 episodes happy 50 episodes chloe wow. love you my friend love we you did too. it we did it Woo. here's to 50 more no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. And Ooh. we'll see you in 2024. Oh my gosh. Crazy. See you next year, y'all. Yeah, see you next year. <laughs> Had to. Bye. Bye. <laughs>